Hi everyone, welcome back to the triage. I'm Christy Schweigart. And I'm Rachna. Today, unfortunately, Natalie couldn't join us, but today we're going to be talking a little bit about testing and some of the protests that have been going on all around the country. So um, I'm sure some of you have been seeing the news about all these crazy protesters holding these crazy signs. And I don't know, Christy, what are your thoughts about this? Uh, I mean, a lot of us don't enjoy social distancing. I mean, I don't think it's supposed to be an enjoyable situation. We're doing it to save lives and to lower the burden on the healthcare system. And so I think the unrest and using a haircut as an example when a lot of patients can't get chemotherapy or we are laying people to rest without proper memorials, um, I think there are bigger issues to worry about. Um, And also, we are social distancing right now. We're recording this remotely, which is amazing technology. Yeah, we forgot to mention that last time. (laughs) And people complimented us on our quality. So I guess it worked very well. (laughs) But yes, we're also practicing this social distancing. But um, at these protests, I saw this one video. um, I showed it to you too, Christy, where people were counter-protesting some of the nurses and doctors and people were yelling at them and I don't know I feel like that's such a slap in the face to the healthcare providers who are working you know over time and putting themselves out on the front lines putting themselves at risks in order risk in order to treat patients mm-hmm. so I think that some of these people don't realize that this situation is so severe because maybe it's maybe their state isn't affected as much as some other states. Um, so they don't understand that it is really bad where we are, especially for, for me and Christy, we're both from the Northeast, so it's like, it's pretty bad. Mm-hmm. But and it's, that's, it, it's not to say that there's not sacrifice. I mean, it's not only just social sacrifice, there is economic sacrifice. There are 22 million jobless claims so far and that's only in this past week and that's bound to go up um and that's in addition to the the loss of life that we've had and um and you know people putting themselves out there at risk to serve us both in the healthcare space and in in the restaurant space in the grocery space i mean and the delivery space i mean it goes on and on and so yeah like you said it's a big slap in the face to people who are putting themselves at risk to protect us. Yeah, and a lot of those people, I see them protesting and they're not even wearing masks or anything like that. So at a certain point, I understand you want your freedom. It is America. We do toot the land of the free, home of the brave (laughs) slogan a lot. But um, there's a certain point where you have to consider other people who are around you who may be at risk of getting this infection. And those people are also putting themselves at risk by not wearing a mask by being at this protest. So I think that we all, none of us like this situation that we're in. None of us like social distancing, but we're all trying to do it in order to flatten the curve and just protect Mm -hmm. all those people who are so vulnerable. Yeah. And it's, the big protests that we've been seeing all over social media with a lot of the images that are pretty unsettling. Um, We're in Washington State and Colorado, Denver being that place where 
there were a lot of counter protests of people wearing scrubs and a lot of nurses actually coming out and protesting and a lot of the signs were pretty pretty um alarming like um someone said fear is the real virus uh someone else said hashtag fake crisis um someone said um open texas now a lot of this comes from people wanting to open states back up and georgia is probably one of the more well-known states that is starting to slowly reopen businesses um and you know this is not a time to think as an individual it's time to think um as a collective society and also acknowledge that this virus is affecting black communities at um at a much higher rate um and one other one other thing that i thought was interesting is that facebook is actually deleting protest events made on its site which is very different from what we've seen from the site uh, before in terms of freedom of speech yeah, and I think this, allowing fake news to um, to spread on its site. Yeah, I think this so website has been in a lot of hot water <laughs> lately, I feel like, about freedom of speech. Um, I've seen a lot of posts uh, by conservative friends I may have on Facebook who um, post a lot of like conspiracy articles, and they're, they mm-hmm. literally are blurred out, and it says... Um, there's a fact check on the fact fact check article under it, so it's very interesting how Facebook has really transformed over the past year, and I think yes. that is just another example of how or what direction Facebook is going in. And I don't know if it's necessarily the right thing to sort of like um, cover up these things but also it's like such a bad health crisis right now and people are I think the people who are protesting are very misinformed on what is actually going on so I understand why they're deleting all of these posts Mm -hmm. so um I think what we're all wondering the protesters us people quarantining at home everyone is just when are we going to reopen this country and I think the answer to that is one, when we have a vaccine, but that seems like it's going to be really far away. I mean, it takes at least a year for people to develop something that's safe enough for us to be injecting into our bodies. And um, the other thing that would help reopen this country, though, is ramping up the testing. So as of today, April 22nd, there are 839,000 confirmed cases in the U.S., now, keep in mind, this is confirmed. Um, Christy and I know a lot of people personally who have thought they had coronavirus and couldn't get tested because they either didn't qualify the, for the criteria or they were considered healthy enough to make it so they didn't want to waste tests on people who um, didn't need to go to the hospital, basically. So... If you compare this to South Korea, um, we and South Korea announced on the same day that we had our first case of coronavirus. And South Korea's testing at that time was 700 times the U.S.'s amount of testing, even though we started on the same day. So I think that's something that's key. I mean, South Korea, we have seen over this crisis, has been able to really maintain it well if they haven't had such a giant spike in cases that we have had so if we could somehow find a way to mirror that i mean 
obviously we're at a certain point where it's gotten so bad where uh, <laughs> I don't know if we can reverse a lot of the damage that's been done, but if we can really ramp up the amount of testing we do, then I think that's going to be key to fighting this virus and really getting back to somewhat of a normal. And that normal, that somewhat of a normal is probably going to be like us wearing masks everywhere mm -hmm. and being very limited in what we can do. But at least if we can take baby steps towards that, I think that would be really good. Definitely it can help out with the economic fallout as well in terms of getting people back to those um, jobs that have been lost. And luckily for us, um, we both went to Rutgers for undergrad, so we have a lot of connections from there. And Christy actually knows someone who is able to work on one of the labs for these tests. Christy, do you want to talk a little bit about him? Yeah, so I'm so excited. One, just to be an alum of Rutgers. I mean, I think Rutgers was one of the first universities to announce that they were going to graduate people from their medical school and I think pharmacy school early so that they could help out and um, and work on the front line. So very proud about that. And there are just a lot of other things going on. I'm pretty sure Rutgers is also um, doing the biggest study on healthcare workers who are working in the field. And of course, what has been in the news the most in the past week is that Rutgers developed um, a saliva test for COVID-19 that is FDA approved. They got a letter from the White House and everything. It's amazing. And now that test is being rolled out in New Jersey and across the country. And today, we have an interview for you with Harrison Lee, who is a senior lab technician at RUCDR, which is that lab that is creating this test, and that is the largest university-based biorepository. And I don't know much about what that means, but Harrison walks us through that. And so, yeah, I hope you enjoy this interview with him. Um, he has an amazing insight into both what it's like to be a lab technician during this time and also someone who... Um, did have symptoms of COVID-19. Um, so yeah, I hope you enjoy that. And it's really awesome to see the progress being made in New Jersey and in New York, because those are the two states that are really um, having a tough time right now. So to have the progress come from those states as well is really exciting. Yeah, and I think the most exciting thing about this test is that it's so much faster than some of the other tests we've been seeing where it takes you know days for the results to come back. So I think this test shows a lot of hope and promise that maybe we're gonna be able to rapidly expand um, the testing that we have available today. So with that, we're gonna go into the interview. Hello everyone, we're coming at you with the second episode with an interview with Harrison Lee and he's currently on the front lines um, in the fight uh, against COVID-19 and so we really think that he has a special story to tell and an, a super interesting perspective and it's so powerful so we want to communicate that to the masses so Harrison do you want to quickly introduce yourself and, and where you're coming from today? 
Yeah, sure. So, yeah, so I'm Harrison. Um, if you guys don't know, I actually graduated from Rutgers University last year in May. And so what I'm doing currently is I was actually hired by um, the Human Genetics Institute of New Jersey and in a smaller department called RUCDR. And RUCDR is the Rutgers University Cell and DNA Repository, which if anyone doesn't know, just like a quick fun trivia is it's actually the world's largest university-based biorepository. And what that means is that we have cell lines and, and all of that stuff like from all over the world, from clients from all over the world who give us these materials and we basically process them and, and assign services to them and so that research institutions from around the world can use them to research for diseases and all of that. And so it's pretty cool stuff. I help run a stem cell lab on the regular, but due to recent occurrences with COVID-19 and all the events surrounding that issue, um, I no longer am working with that and I'm doing COVID-19 testing. So that's a little quick gist about myself. So what has it been like working in a lab during this time? I mean, I a lot of the media shows us what it's like to work in a hospital, what it's like to work in other essential services, and I feel like we have just started to scratch the surface of seeing what it's like to be on the research side of things. So what has it been like during this time, especially being in New Jersey, which is you know one of the most effective states in the country? I feel like when you're working when you're working in a laboratory setting and you're hearing things about you know updates about COVID, whether if it's from the company's perspective or from just like the whole world media, like watching the news kind of perspective, it it can get very very nerve wracking, knowing that you know working in a lab we are required to come into work like we don't have this kind of liberty where we can work from home and and all that i, I wish i could take my cells and, and and go home and just work on it i wish i could pay <laughs> me to do that but i can't and and this is something that i feel like a lot of my colleagues are also experiencing because now they're required to continue working but at the same time there's also the whole quarantine thing in, in effect. And their children at home, their spouses are, 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 are perhaps at home as well. And they feel it's just a weird position to, for everyone in your family to be home. And meanwhile, you're still going out and about interacting with people. And there's always that fear of potentially being exposed on the way to the workplace or at the workplace and then going home and bringing that, that to your kids and, your, and to your spouse. And, and I feel like that's something that oh, a lot of people don't really talk about um, because it's overshadowed by everything that's going on in the media right now. Um, personally, for me, I don't, I, I'm lucky in that I don't have that family to take care of because that's an extra piece, an extra challenge to everything. But it's, it's still been tough, um, especially knowing that I work in stem cell and that's completely dissolved like that's not a thing anymore and to me I'm like oh my god I was self-quarantined for a couple of weeks I come back and now that my entire world is changed and so yeah, yeah I, I really went on a tangent on this but this is something no. that's absolutely crazy for all of us it's crazy because it's like you are on the front lines of testing and like you said you get so much of this information both from the systemic side and then also just pure science mm -hmm. and it must be so nerve-wracking and then above 
all of this, you also are in that world living in it. Like you <laughs> are going to work and there are people around you who could, ha- it's just, it's a lot to handle. And, you know, I, and it must feel in some way like the world is kind of on your shoulders a little bit or your community is on your shoulders because you are working to test, but then you also are moving back and forth and coming into contact with people. So thank you so much for everything you're doing and it doesn't go unnoticed and your colleagues and the whole institution that you work for, uh, we're so thankful for. Um, and, you know, I'm watching it from Virginia, so, <laughs> but I'm from New Jersey and, and I still have that special place in my heart. But um, speaking of New Jersey and just the institution itself that you're working with, it's one of the most important labs in developing that COVID-19 rapid testing. And you ta- you spoke a little bit about this and how your role has transitioned from working in stem cell research to now this. So what did that transition look like? And can you also explain like what makes this test so special and, and different from what has been rolled out uh, before this? Yeah, sure, of course. And yeah, so the way we transitioned is something that is still actually going on. And because, you know, even though we're a smaller group, it's still, we're split into so many departments, each department, which is so critical to research and, and testing all over yes. the world. And and that's what we've always been. Um, we've always, um, all of the employees here are all essential personnel. For me, when I was in stem cell, stem cell is important, very important for operations and NIMH, NINDS, all these places that do critical research and they need stem cells and for to do drug testing and all that. And and what's happening is that you're seeing all these very important operations being suspended and put on hold. Um, and you see what you're start starting to see is a lot of people who are coming together and dissolving their teams, is dissolving, um, putting their projects on pause and jumping into this COVID-19 effort. And so it's crazy because my group has two labs. Um, we own two labs with their which which have each their own equipment. And now we lost, we already lost one because that one is being repurposed for COVID-19. And that's actually my lab. So I have nowhere to go if we were to go back to whatever operations that, that we used to, to do. And, and so that, that's definitely something that's interesting. There's still a lot of things to be figured out. And you know something yeah. to know during this time is that no one knows the full answer you know, whether if it's directors, your bosses, your supervisors, your, you know, everyone, we don't really know what's happening. And, and this, I feel like this shouldn't incite panic in people nearly as much because in a way, it just means that we're all in this together. And, you know, there are many things that may inconvenience us. And we're so used to being in 2019 or all the years before where if you asked a question, if you had something that needed to be solved that you'd expect that people would get back to you and there would be someone mm-hmm. up there, there in the ladder who would know the answer. But the thing is that this is so new, everything's so different that people really don't, you know? And as someone who works in a lab, it, it was something, definitely something that I needed to get used to. And honestly, we still all need to get used to it now. Yeah. Um, and you know, so that's basically how things are transitioning. We're all getting trained to do many different things. 
um, I'm getting, I, I got trained to, to handle the saliva tests, um, started, it started last week actually, and a lot of my other colleagues are being trained to do a, a, some other steps along the way to help with the processing. And so this, speaking of the saliva testing, so RECDR, we actually partnered with a couple of physicians at Rutgers and basically what they came up with was the saliva testing kit. And so what makes this so revolutionary is that this can be self-administered, meaning that if wow. you were to go to, say, a testing site, someone can just hand you the saliva kit. It has the instructions and everything how to do it. And you basically just spit into a tube. And that, um, that biological material is enough for us to test and, and kind of see the levels of, of, of viral material that could be present in there. And so that is something that's definitely important because, not, first of all, it's definitely less invasive than, say, a swab, yes. which would definitely, it is painful for some people, you know, when, if it's, if it's um, you know, done roughly or whatever. Like, there are people who, who are very sensitive to this. People might sneeze while in the process of it. Like, all this combined makes it a greater risk to go get tested because, by doing this, you're also potentially exposing the people who are trying to test you and collect yeah. your samples. So what that's one one part that makes this saliva testing so revolutionary. I personally have done it, um, and and it was very easy. <laughs> yeah, you just have to like like make sure that you salivate enough, which is like another issue. But at least like it's it's definitely a lot easier, and it's definitely more straightforward. And the instructions are something that anyone can can follow. And that's what makes it so great. Um, the thing that it does is that it tests for um, just whether you're positive or negative. And this is only effective if you are currently um, infected with the virus. So say that okay. if you had it and you recovered from it and you have antibodies for it, this test does not um, give you the, those kinds of results. But what it does is that it shows people who are potentially sick if they have the virus or not and it tells people whether like when they should quarantine when they when they're um or when they're cleared um to return to work or, or go back to their normal schedules um right now this test is being distributed throughout the state um i have been seeing places around the country who are also receiving and sending us their saliva samples. So it's good to see that there are places around the country who are starting to see the value in this test and they're starting to adopt totally. this method. Yeah. And thank you for walking us through that because, you know, I don't know what that process looks like. And, you know, we've all seen the invasiveness of the swab test and it's scary. And I think that also contributes, like you said, to a lot of the fear that people have to go get tested and call their physician and and go and see if they're COVID-19 positive or negative because testing like that is scary mm -hmm. and people don't want to put themselves at risk like that. So that's a great point. And, you know, you were talking about building community. I mean, seeing that people across the country are now utilizing this test. I mean, what greater community can you see than people all coming together and, and using the work that your lab is doing to to track this disease and, and see how it's going. So thank you so much for walking through that. Um, what has it been like working and living and 
and being in the essential epicenter of the outbreak in the United States? I mean, do you feel that weight? Do the people around you feel that weight in your lab? Like, what has that been like? And how does it feel to be contributing so much uh, during this pandemic? I think this is a, actually a very complicated question because as you know, as people who have been reading up on the news and, and what our company has been accomplishing, this is something that we naturally should be feeling proud of. And I, I try to remind myself of that every day because when it comes to COVID testing and, and research and processing, it, it might feel exciting, but some of the things are actually pretty repetitive because you're dealing, what you're dealing with is that you're dealing with samples from, from other mm -hmm. subjects and, and what we actually, let me give like a quick rundown on, on what we do. So we, we have to, there's like the whole process of decontamination of entering every single, each single sample into our system and then moving it up to do RNA extraction, things like that and running um, PCR um, to, to amplify the, the, um, the genetic signal. And so, and so this, all these tests being run can be repetitive and it definitely takes a lot of energy for people who are working on it. And, and so in a way we do feel proud that this is something that we've been accomplishing as a collective, but it sometimes can be really hard because all this takes so much energy from our end. Our schedules are all over the place. Personally, like in the past week, I've changed from 7 a.m. to 2 p.m. to 3 p.m. to 10 p.m. And now it's like 12.30 to 7.30, Tuesdays to Saturdays. And, you know, <laughs> it, it's it's very easy to, to feel overwhelmed. And as you said, to feel like the world is on your shoulders because all of a sudden it, it's like, it's like we're like the most, some of the most important essential personnel in the entire country, especially yeah. after um, after Rutgers published or and publicized the fact that we're, we're adopting this saliva thing. And also the fact that we got the call from the White House and the president announced it and, and now everything's so official. And now we feel the pressure of, of course, like meet, meeting that standard and everything, every one of us is working so incredibly hard to try and meet that capacity that we're expected to reach. Yeah, I mean, I can't imagine. It's, it really is a tough balance of knowing the important work that you're doing and also knowing that it's work. I mean, it takes work for this to do its job and to mm -hmm. make a difference. And I feel like a lot of us forget about that on, on you know, my side. I mean, I do work in healthcare, but not in that capacity. And it's like, you get this announcement, you see this sign of hope, and then you forget that there are people behind it. There is science behind it. There's, there are tears and there's a loss behind it. And so, yeah, it's, it's crazy to think about how much goes into actually um, creating this change. Um, right, especially right. in such an important area where this is spreading. Um, and speaking of the spread, you actually are one of the millions of people who, who had COVID-19. Um, and so what were some of the signs that led you to believe that you had the virus and what was self-isolation like and what was that whole process like, um, you know, as much as you can go into? Sure. Um, for me, this was definitely interesting for me because it's something that I had never experienced and in terms of symptoms, something that I had never felt before. 
and I, I will never forget this for the rest of my life. And I really, I'm crossing my fingers. I hope that I never had it. Um, but my gut feeling, you know, I know my body my, the best. And I had, you know, I feel like I definitely had a mild case. And that's definitely what the doctors have told me. And what started is actually, um, I think my case is a good example of how people are overlooking the, the milder symptoms of COVID-19. You know, when, when yes. you're dealing with a virus like this, you sh people shouldn't be looking at the most um, deadly effects of, of the disease. They should also be looking at the other symptoms, the little things here and there, because it's not just about the symptoms, it's just about, it's also about the fact that the person has it you're allowing these people to go out and about potentially exposing other people. So if these symptoms are things that we don't recognize and we don't acknowledge, then there's a chance that we're still letting people out and about when they already, when they, in reality, they potentially have the virus. And for me, it started off, I came into work on a, like a Monday and I felt severe abdominal pain. It was very peculiar for me. Like as you know, I'm no stranger to abdominal pain. I used to have them a lot when I struggled um, with my anxiety and depression, this is something that would happen to me constantly. Mm -hmm. But um, that was the kind of pain that was like pulsing and throbbing and, and it would come and go, right? And But for this, it was, it started out being severe, but then it went down to like moderate pain, but it was constant from the moment I woke up to when I went to bed, constant. And the pain was draining my energy. I felt fatigued all of the time. Um, I had a little bit of a dry cough, but it really wasn't significant at all. From what, what the doctor was saying is that people are seeing increased cases, um, especially in young adults, where they're reporting mild symptoms, but also um, abdominal pain, where there's no respiratory issue, but there's just this weird pain. And apparently it's caused by, um, I'm quoting this from an article I read, but Apparently it's caused by pneumonia in the lower lobes of the lungs that actually oh, irritates wow. the diaphragm. So, so what happens is that it causes pain in the upper area of your abdomen, which is spot on for me because that's what I felt. And when I described that to um, my doctor, like that's how she diagnosed me. She was like, okay, yeah, like based on what you described, this matches on almost entirely spot on with what people are experiencing. I feel super lucky that I only had a mild case, and that's what everyone's been telling me. Um, but it definitely isn't something to be overlooked. I have quarantined myself for I quarantined myself for a total of in in total almost three weeks, and it was definitely something that was stressful for me because again, like this whole situation is something that we all are working on, and we all don't have many answers to. And a problem that I ran into was actually, you know, working out the whole COVID paid leave. Because mm -hmm. this is something that the university offers, but I was, you know, I was very confused because I was still using my sick days and then eventually down to my personal days and then down to my administrative leaves and then down to my vacation days. And I was like, oh my God, I, I shouldn't be Stressful. using vacation days to take off to recover from COVID-19 and yet I saw these days being deducted and I was getting stressed out thinking that oh my god I can't afford to not get paid when I run out of these days and if I run out of these days will they ever give these days back to me and so you know constantly was a lot of following up and communicating with my 
like, you know, the upper level management and HR, trying to figure out exactly where I stood in terms of getting my paid leave approved. And this is, this was a huge challenge for me because I don't imagine how I would have been able to follow up to the extent that I had, um, had I been experiencing more severe symptoms. So um, that's, that's my experience. Um, and it's been difficult but knowing that I have friends and coworkers and colleagues who are on my side and who are willing to support in any capacity that I can, I, I had, I had one of my um, close colleagues like, like you know like, offer to su support me whether in terms of, of bringing me food, um, you know, wow. or, or you know offering to help financially even if it's temporary. Like these are people who are, who I'm close with who are offering to help like this, and um, I guess. I guess like this is some kind of um, there's definitely some positivity that that um, that isn't it's kind of like an after after effect of, of all of this going on. I feel like you start seeing people expressing their kindness and, and their compassion um, to their greatest capacity during these difficult times. And I'm lucky to say that I've been blessed with both both like the the negative parts, but also like the, the bright side, right? And I'm really yeah. grateful for these experiences. Totally, I mean, how people show their love is in ways like that and just supporting you and being there for you in tough times. And I'm so happy that you have that. And you, <laughs> yeah. you brought up so many great points, but the two that are most poignant in my opinion are the fact that the symptoms have changed so much, especially in young people and you, reading up and knowing that that one symptom was off for you and that it was connected greatly to what other people were experiencing it just shows you how important it is for all of us to be self-aware of how we feel be more in tune with our bodies keep tabs on ourselves and the people around us and also just making those calls i mean it's a lot of us have in the past felt nervous to go to a doctor you know now uh, call a doctor and have a televisit because we think that our what we're feeling is is not strong enough or that the symptoms that we're facing aren't um, bad enough to be going to a doctor or talking to a doctor. But I mean, these small symptoms could be telling a much bigger picture. I mean, people I know in my life, they thought that they had a sinus infection or a cold, but then they started reading that people were losing sense of smell and sense of taste with COVID-19. And then right. they realized, oh my gosh, I had this. And it's, it's just so important to, you know, be spreading the message that you're spreading in terms of staying on top of how you feel and, and not being afraid to maybe make, make a call or, you know, text a doctor. Now there are so many ways to get in contact with healthcare professionals, but, you know, we all just need to stick together. And, and again, the point you made about um, using your sick days and your vacation days and your administrative days, I mean, this is so important because people could be covid positive or they could be positive that they have it but mm -hmm. they don't they can't afford to not be getting paid those days and they can't afford to be staying in their homes um and so i mean you talking about that really creates awareness around that point and especially since you're an essential worker i mean so many people are experiencing this who are essential and can't stay home like someone like me so thank you for spreading your message and and being so real with me today, I mean, it's, <laughs> it's important. Um, to finish off, 
what is a message that you'd like to give to other essential workers out there and specifically in the scientific and, and the research lab sphere? I like to say that I truly, it, it, it makes me feel so empowered that there are so many essential workers who are really working so hard every single day, every single hour of their work day um, to this cause, even if it's indirectly or directly, um, we're all putting ourselves at the front lines and exposing ourselves. And, and you know, it, there are so many things about this that we could think negatively of, but I think it's so important to remember that these are extraordinary times and extraordinary times call for extraordinary measures. And yep. we require extraordinary people to, to really put the foot down and, and say, this is what we got to do. And I will do everything that I can to make it happen. And I, I think another, you know, something else that I've really wanted to address is that essential, a lot of essential workers are really afraid of getting the virus, especially people from my end who are actually working with COVID-19 samples directly. Mm -hmm. um, I'd say that definitely if you feel unwell, even in the slightest, stay home. You know, um, I know that COVID paid leave and all of that is definitely a concern, but still your safety and everyone else's safety is without a doubt priority. And, you know, we've been so used to, in terms of, you know, healthcare in the past that, you know, if we feel something, um, we go see a doctor, they diagnose us, we stay home or, or do whatever that we need to do. But then back then there wasn't really as strong of that whole idea of affecting other people because of yes. what you feel. And so, which makes mm -hmm. it all the more important, even if you're feeling something that you normally would, um, consider as insignificant, um, please get that checked out. I know, I know that many healthcare workers are currently overwhelmed with the volume of patients who are coming in, asking questions and, and inquiring about so many different things. But in, again, like put yourself first, put your safety first. And as a, and if you do that, you will also, you know, you're also doing this for the good of other people around you and people in this world. Um, and, and yeah, and, and basically to keep hope um, and keep hope um, strong in your heart and to be try to be a little bit um, give people like a little bit more room in term and time in terms of getting back and getting answers because we're all trying to figure this out together and we just got to work work on it together from here. Yeah, great point and well said and thank you so much. I appreciate your time and I appreciate all of the work that you're doing both at work and with your music and you spreading your light everywhere. It's really making an impact on people. So thank you Anytime. so much. And no problem. It was a pleasure. Keep it.